You know, as the the school year wraps up and winds down, what that kind of means for for you all in your season of life is that you're getting ready to enter into a season of change. Uh, For some of you, you're transitioning from middle school to high school in the fall. Raise your your hand if you're making that transition. All right, you're going from middle school to high school in just a couple months. Uh, I know for some of you, you're leaving for college in, in just a couple months. You're not far from that. Some of you are, are going to, to new schools next year. Some of you are moving. Um, but all of you are moving up to a new grade. At least, hopefully, all of you are moving up to a new grade. And you'll be starting new classes with new teachers and new students and new schedule. And, and, and I know like it's, it's weird to already be thinking about next school year because you're just starting summer. But before you know it, you're going to be in this new season of life. Things are going to be, be different. And as you transition into this, to this new season, there's a decision that you're going to have to make. There's a question that you're, you're going to have to answer, and it's this. Am I going to live my life for myself, or am I going to live my life for Jesus? As I transition to high school, as I go off to college, as I go to 10th grade, 11th grade, 7th grade, whatever it is, am I going to live this new season of life for myself, or am I going to live it for Jesus? Those are really the only two options. You can either be focused on your own goals and your priorities and your desires, or you can be focused on what God wants to do in your life and through your life. And that's really a decision that you're going to make this summer. That's not a decision that you make the first day of school. That's a decision you make during those weeks and couple of months leading up to the new school year. You're going to decide who is going to be the priority. Is it going to be you and your agenda, or is the priority going to be Jesus? And if your decision is to live your life for yourself, I don't think I need to to help you do that. Like, that's kind of our default decision typically. You don't need any help trying to figure out how to to, to make yourself the, the top priority. But if you want to live a life where God is the focus and God is the priority, well, then you need to know how to do that. And you need to know what that looks like. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage that talks about what it looks like to live a godly life. What it looks like for you as a middle school student, high school student, soon to be college student, to live a life that honors and glorifies Jesus above all else. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this. Simon Peter, he's the one who's writing this a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He writes this, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Then he says this, verse three, God's divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter says that God, through his power, has given us, has given you everything you need to live a life that honors and glorifies God. Like no matter who you are, 
No matter how you've been raised, whether you've been in church your entire life or this is new to you, no matter what you've done in your life, you have everything that you need to live a life that honors and glorifies God if you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus. Like, you're not lacking anything. You have all the necessary resources. You have all the necessary tools at your disposal to live a godly life. And Peter says that this ability for us to to live this godly life, it comes through knowledge of God. It comes through knowing him. Knowing God is the starting point to living a godly life. But what does Peter mean here when he says to, to know God? You see, knowing God is more than just an intellectual head knowledge. It's more than just an awareness that that there's a God that exists. It's more than just understanding certain facts about who God is. To know God, the way Peter's talking about it, to know God is to be in a relationship with him. To know him in a very real and a very personal way. So here's how I like to think about this distinction. When when, when Peter says knowing God, it's not just head knowledge, it's knowing God in in a relational sense. I have known about my wife, Brooke, since we were like five or six years old. We grew up here at church together, we went to the same school together. I've known about her, that she's existed pretty much my entire life. Growing up, I knew her last name was Alan. I knew who her friends were. I knew who her family was. I knew where she went to school. I knew where she went to church. I knew a lot about her, but I didn't really know her personally. And all that changed at the uh, end of our 10th grade year of high school. We were at a church party together. And by church party, I mean some pizza, PG movie. We're kind of hanging out, having some fun together. And we're, we're going through the line, getting pizza we're on my buddy's back porch, and I remember I'm sitting in this, like, camping chair that has this, like, built-in footstool on it. So I've got my feet propped up. I've got my pizza in my lap. I'm, I'm just kind of having a good time hanging out with my friends. And, and I noticed Brooke is going through the line to get pizza. And like I said, I've, I've known this girl since we were six years old. Now we're 16 years old. Like, 10 years I've known her. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm looking at her, and for the first time in my life, like my eyes are open, things click for me, and I'm like, wow, this girl's really cute. Like, how, how have I not noticed this before? Where have I been? You know, my, I, I, I've been blind, and I, I see her, and I'm like, man, I need to, to talk to, to this girl. And I see her, she grabs her pizza, and she's looking for, for somewhere to, to sit down, um, she, she, she can't find anywhere, and I'm like, man, this is my opportunity. So like a true gentleman, I said, hey, Brooke, and I offered her the little footstool I was, I was using and invited her to come over and, and sit down, and she looked past that error, um, and we started talking that night. We started, started hanging out, uh, but that was the night where I went from knowing about Brooke to actually knowing Brooke to knowing her in a real and personal way, to starting a a relationship with her. And when Peter talks about knowing God, he's talking about that kind of knowledge, knowing God in a real and personal way. And students, I I just want you to think about this for a minute. I, I, I know we take this for granted, but we have the ability, we have the capacity 
to know the creator of the universe in a real and personal way. Like that blows my mind that an infinite, all-knowing God outside of time, outside of space has made himself knowable to us. God has revealed himself to us through his creation. When we look around at this universe, we can see certain attributes about who God is. We can know God through the Holy Spirit. When we trust in Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, the Holy Spirit guides us and speaks to us. We can know God through his word. In the Bible, God has revealed this incredible plan of redemption and salvation, how he's been working throughout history. Like, we have the ability to know God. God isn't hiding himself from us. God isn't making himself distant. And through knowing God, having a relationship with him, we have everything that we need to live a life for him. And then listen to what Peter says next in verse 4. Through these... He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate, you can share in his divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see, God hasn't just given us everything that we need to live for him. Peter says that God has given us these very great and precious promises. The promises of eternal life, that when you die, you can have confidence about where you're going to spend eternity. The promise that one day Jesus is going to return, and Jesus is going to make things right in this world. The promise that there is going to be a new creation, that this broken, fallen world we live in, with murder and sickness and disease and death, Jesus is gonna come and that's gonna be no more. He's gonna make things new. We have these incredible promises that God has given us. And these promises that God has made, they're different than the kind of promises we make to each other. Like look, even when we have the best intentions, we don't always keep our promises. Like we can promise somebody something and and really mean it and really intend to keep our word, but we change our minds sometimes. Or things outside of our control change and, and no longer we're able to follow through on that promise. But God's promises aren't like that. Because God's promises are based on his glory. They're based on his goodness. His promises, they cannot be broken. His promises are guaranteed, they're certain. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, and God has made a whole lot of promises to us through his word, they are yes in Christ. Meaning they are guaranteed. You can take them to the bank. You can count on them. And because of these promises, these great precious promises that God has given to us, it says that we can participate we can share in the divine nature of Jesus. And that's weird to think about. We can participate in in Jesus' divine nature. What what does Peter mean by that? You see, my my two children, Lennox and Monroe, they share me and Brooke's nature. They're made up of our DNA. They have our last name. They are both biologically and legally part of our family. They share in our nature. And because of this, 
they inherit the benefits of being in our family. Like my kids, they have access to everything that belongs to me. They have access to that sweet new minivan we got. Like they, they get the benefits of being a part of our family. There are certain privileges for them because they are our children. And the same is true when we are children of God. Listen to what Paul says in Romans eight seventeen. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Paul is saying because we're a new creation, because we have a new identity, we're now children of God. And even more than that, we are co-heirs with Christ. Everything that Jesus inherits, we get to inherit. We share in his blessings. We share in his glory. We get all the same benefits as Jesus. We share in the divine nature of Jesus because of these promises that God has made to us. You see, students, knowing God, having a relationship with him, it's not just about receiving these blessings. It's not just about receiving these promises and taking all these things for ourselves. Knowing God, having a relationship with him, knowing him personally, it should change how we live our lives. It should change our actions and our thoughts and our desires is to change our, our focus and our priorities in life. And listen to what Peter says next in verse five. He says, for this very reason, because of what we've just talked about, make every effort, meaning do whatever you possibly can to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Here, Peter begins to explain very practically what living a godly life actually looks like. And he provides a list of characteristics. And he says, you need to make every effort, you need to do everything you possibly can to add these to your faith. You should be producing these kind of qualities in your life. Your faith should be resulting in growth in your life. And the first one is this. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Add to your faith. Add to your relationship with God goodness. And when he's talking about goodness, he's talking about having strong moral character, moral excellence. He's talking about virtue. And the word he uses here, it's the same word that he used back in verse 3 to talk about the goodness of Jesus. Meaning that we should be developing the same character of Jesus in our life. We should be in the process of becoming more and more like him. The character of Jesus should be growing in our life. And then he says this, we need to add to our goodness knowledge. And he's not just talking about head knowledge. He's not just saying you need to know more about God. You need to know more about the Bible. You need to read more theology books. No, he's talking about practical knowledge that impacts how we live our lives. It's the ability to discern between what is right and what is wrong. It's the ability to know the difference between what is truth and what is a lie. 
It's the wisdom to know what is good for us, what's beneficial for us. He says we need to grow in knowledge. We need to become more discerning, more wise. He says this, greater knowledge, it should produce self-control in our lives. The ability to, to, to fight against our sinful nature, to keep our sinful desires in check, to master ourselves, to have self-discipline, to take our thoughts captive, to resist temptation, to die to ourselves, to fight against our sinful nature. He says you need more self-control. He says self-control should produce perseverance, the ability to run this race of faith with endurance, to be patient while you're suffering, to endure while things are, are, are difficult and challenging, to not quit, to not just give up when things get hard, but to press on until the end. He says you need to develop perseverance. And then Peter, he wraps up this list by focusing on these characteristics, these qualities that are very outward focused. He says, yes, our faith, it should develop greater goodness and greater knowledge and greater self-control and perseverance, but it should also change the way that we relate to other people. Like godliness should impact our relationships with others, and he highlights these two qualities. He says, you need to grow in your mutual affection and your love. You see, mutual affection is just genuine friendship. We're like, you, you, you genuinely care about others. You're concerned about their life. You're invested in what's going on in their life. He says you need to grow in love. This willingness to sacrifice for others, this willingness to put others first. You see, love, it's the ultimate expression of Christian belief. Peter, he goes through this list. He's saying you need to make every effort to add these things to your faith. It's not enough to just stop with having knowledge of God. These things need to be growing in your life. You need to be growing in character, growing in knowledge, growing in self-discipline, growing in love. And then he says this in verse 8. For if you possess these qualities, if you have these characteristics in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, students, the, the goal in the Christian life is not just greater knowledge of God. The goal isn't just knowing the right things and knowing more of the right things. The goal is to possess these qualities in increasing measure meaning that you should be growing in them. You should be making progress and becoming more and more like Jesus. This isn't about perfection, not making mistakes, but this is about direction. You should be moving forward. You should be taking steps in this direction. You should be becoming more and more like Jesus. You see, I think it's very easy in our, in our faith journey to compare ourselves to others. To look at someone else's faith and compare ours to it and, and, and think, okay, how spiritual am I compared to this other person? You know, this person in my small group, this person at my school, my sibling, how spiritual am I compared to, to them? And at times we look at other people and maybe we feel discouraged 
because we feel like we're behind. Man, like they, they love Jesus so much. They know so much about the Bible. They have such a great attitude. They're, they're a servant. I'm never going to be like them. And then sometimes we look at other people and we're like, wow, yeah, I know I'm not in a great place, but their life is a mess. They can't get anything together. Do you know all the things that they're doing? And we begin to feel prideful. But as followers of Jesus, we're not comparing ourselves to other Christians. Like, we're not in competition with each other. We're not supposed to compare. But we are supposed to compare who we are to who we were a year ago, to who we were a month ago, to who we were yesterday. Like, we should be further along in our faith today at the end of the school year than we were at the beginning of the school year. We should be further along in our faith today than we were at the start of the semester. We should have grown in goodness. We should have grown in self-control and perseverance and love for others over the past nine, ten months. And why is it so important? Why is it so important that we grow? Peter says it's because it keeps us from being ineffective and unproductive in our faith. You see, when we stop growing, when we stop making progress in our faith, when we stop moving forward in the right direction, we become ineffective and unproductive for Jesus and for his kingdom. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, the devil cannot take your faith away. He cannot take your salvation away. But his strategy is to make you ineffective and unproductive in your faith. His strategy is to sideline you, to knock you out of the game where you're not making any difference for Jesus in your schools, on your teams, at home, and you just stall out in your faith. He can't take you to hell, but he can make you ineffective and unproductive. He can put you on the sideline, have you sit down, and make absolutely no difference for anybody or for Jesus. And here's what I wonder. And I want you to take an honest look. Did that happen in your life this past school year? Did you stall out and stop growing? Did you become ineffective and unproductive for Jesus? Did the enemy just knock you out of the game, put you on the sideline? Where you, when you look back over this past year, man, you're really in the same place you were at the start. Maybe Movement Weekend gave you a little bump for a couple of weeks, but you're right back to where you were at the start of this school year. And you haven't really made any progress. You haven't grown. You haven't been effective for Jesus. Listen to what Peter says next. He says, but whoever does not have these, these qualities is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. He says those who aren't growing in their faith, those who just kind of stalled out and become stagnant, Peter says that they're nearsighted and they're blind. Like they can't see what's right in front of them. They've lost sight of the big picture. They're living for the moment and, and forgetting about eternity. 
They've lost sight of what God's doing all around them and what God is trying to do in their life and through their life. And he says, here's why they're, they've become blind. Here's why they're, they're, they're missing it. It's because they have forgotten what Jesus has done for them. They have forgotten the price that Jesus paid on the cross for their sins. They have forgotten the grace and love that Jesus has shown them, and they have started to just take it for granted. They become numb to it. It doesn't make a difference in their life. They hear it, but they have forgotten. And look, if you've been around Jesus your entire life, and I know for a lot of you in here, you have, it is so easy to forget Because when we become familiar with something, we typically become complacent. And some of us in here, we have become so familiar with Jesus. Like I'm talking right now and you're just talking with your friends because you are just so familiar with this. Like it's not even registering anymore. You are so familiar with Jesus, with the gospel that Jesus has died for you, that he loves you, that he's gracious towards you, that you hear that and it does nothing for you. You've forgotten, and as a result, you've become nearsighted and blind. You haven't lost your salvation. It's not that that God has removed anything, but you are missing what God is trying to do in you and through you, and you've become ineffective. And Satan is just watching you saying, good luck. I don't have to do anything anymore. You have knocked yourself out of the game. Peter is is writing to these believers who have forgotten, and listen to how he finishes in verse 10. He says, therefore, he's pleading with them, my brothers and sisters, make every effort. This is the second time he's saying this. Do everything possible to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says you need to make every effort to confirm your calling, which means you need to do whatever it takes to prove that your faith is real, to live it out. Because we are not going to naturally drift towards Jesus. When we go on autopilot, we naturally drift away from Jesus. He says, no, no, no. You have to strive. You have to put in the work. You have to put in the effort to follow after Jesus, to live a life that honors him. You have to push forward in your faith. And as you get ready to, to head into summer, into the season before you you start a new school year. Man, you have such an incredible opportunity over the next two months to begin to make every effort, to begin to grow, to begin to allow God to to, to work in your life. As we wrap up, man, I just wanna give you three just kind of simple, practical things that you need to be doing this summer if you wanna take that step forward. First one is this. If you're a Wednesday-only person, like you only come on Wednesday night, you need to get plugged into a life group this summer. Like the idea that you're gonna follow Jesus this summer and be disconnected from church and the student ministry for the next two and a half months till Wednesday night is back, it's not gonna happen. 
But every single Sunday morning at 9.30, we have small groups where we study God's word, we pray together, we encourage each other, we love on each other. If you're not a part of one of those groups, you have got to prioritize being in a group on Sunday morning. Second thing is this. You need to sign up for camp and you need to show up ready. Some of you, you're on the fence about camp. You're like, I don't know, it's kind of expensive. I don't know if my friends are going. I've got a lot going on this summer. Listen, camp can be an absolute game changer for your faith. It can change the direction of your life. And if you're on the fence right now about signing up, sign up for camp, be a part of it. But for many of you, I know you're signed up, show up at camp ready. Here's what happens. Every year we go to camp, you show up, you kind of like, ah, I'm not going to be real with people. I'm going to just mess around, going to have a good time. Thursday night, you had this big breakthrough. You start crying. You're hugging all your friends. You get on a bus Friday and camp's over. Show up on Monday ready to hear from God, ready for God to speak into your life, ready to be real and honest with others. Don't spend Monday through Wednesday playing games. Show up at camp ready. Be in a life group. Be at camp. And number three, spend time, prioritize time in God's word this summer. Listen, you're not having to wake up for school early anymore. You don't have homework anymore. The excuse of, I just don't have time, or it's too early before school, those excuses are out the window. You've got 10 to 12 weeks where you can focus on spending time in God's Word. I'm not asking you to read through the whole Bible, but get on version, find a reading plan, spend time in God's Word. You will not be able to follow Jesus. You will not have this transformation in your life without the power of God's Word in your life each and every day. Make God's Word a priority in your life this summer. And my prayer, my hope, is that when we're back two and a half months from now, who you are then is so much further ahead than who you are now because you have allowed God to work in your life. You have made that effort to follow after Jesus, to live a life that honors God. So I'm gonna pray for us. And we've got two more songs that we're going to sing to close out this school year. And I want you guys to worship with us as we praise, as we sing, and we celebrate who Jesus is and what Jesus has done this year in our student ministry. So God, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for your goodness in our life. Thank you for the lives changed this year, for the people who have followed you in baptism, for those who have become connected. God, as we head into summer, God, we are so excited for camp. We lift that up to you. We ask that you begin to prepare our hearts now for what you want to do in our lives that week. But God, most importantly, help us to not waste this summer. Help us to not waste it living for ourselves and our desires and our priorities, but that we would live a godly life, that we would live a life that honors you. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your goodness in our life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.